Holding my chest. My legs and hands. Silence. Feeling the pressure. What? She was a fool. A million bloody degrees out there. Oh, wind. I'm sorry if I said anything awful. Blessed lambs of God. Why hadn't he got up to chop the capsicums? I was never a good reader. Ah, Immaculately bland. Anyway, it looks like... What do we do with this now? You're not even supposed to use the word fat. Boys like girls. When we were very young... I was back home in Norwich. Square Sound. You're listening to the audiobook podcast for the makers and listeners of audiobooks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the audiobook podcast. In part two of the author's experience, we're in conversation with Donna McGeorge. Donna is an expert in making work work and helping managers and leaders unlock their own and their team's potential. She's the author of multiple titles, including The First Two Hours and The 25-Minute Meeting, recorded in audio at Square Sound. So let's get the conversation started. Thanks, Abby. It's lovely to have you in the studio, Donna, and to actually meet you because you worked with one of my colleagues last time. We've been wanting to have discussions with a couple of author narrators. So we had your friend Lynn Kazalian recently, which was very informative, and we thought we'd get you in because your approach to publication was a bit different to Lynn's experience. So just to inform people who have questions about the process. So your last couple of titles that you recorded the audiobook were published by Wiley Publishing, which is a really well-known sort of academic and instructional publisher. And then you came to us through Gildan Media, which is a company that, from my understanding, sort of aggregates audiobook content in the field of personal development, business training, etc. Is that a kind of fair comment? I think so. And this is one of the benefits of going through a mainstream publisher was actually Wiley that made all that happen. So they introduced me to Gildan, who then introduced me to you guys. Yeah, great. So Wiley initiated it. Absolutely, yeah. Great. So you came to us to record your book the first two hours early last year, and then you came back a few months later to record the 25-minute meeting, which was actually your previous book, but they both went out there in audiobook form. So how have things been going Both books have been steady. I think any author would love to sell more. And I think all versions. So I've actually got the print book, I've got an e-book, and I've got the audio book. What that means is it just, I've got a whole spread of options for people. So when I look at my numbers, print books are selling more, but there's just a steady little tick over of both the e-book and the audio book. Right. And how did you find the experience coming in and doing it? I really enjoyed it. So I was very lucky to have Greg. I want to use the word producer, but the person who was helping me. Director. Director, thank you. Yep, he was just fantastic. I was nervous for the first one and, yeah, just, you know, made it all very, very easy. Lynn summarised her experience of coming in as much better than going to the dentist. Well, okay, so that feels to me like that's pretty wide in terms of extremes (laughs) of experiences. So what would you rather do, go to the dentist or get your audio book created? Um, I would say recording my audio book is well above going to the dentist. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> so how did you find it in the studio? Did you just sort of get into it? Well, I'm really good at getting into a zone and that's why I think whether it was Greg that helped me do that or whether I just naturally did that, but I got so into a zone that time flew and I suppose the only thing I'm conscious of is I probably just didn't drink as much because I was just in the zone, yes, you know. that's what happens. Doing the recording. Yeah, yeah. Did it take longer than you thought or less time? Less. Yeah, you know, one take Donna. <laughs> 
So you also, in your business life, you do keynotes and run training and so on. So how did the experience differ from that? What did you have to shift? You know, when you're reading the audiobook, you read every word. So when I'm presenting this material, I won't say I ad lib because I'm prepared, but I, I kind of go with an audience response or I might exaggerate something or, you know, and laugh at my own jokes. And, <laughs> and I did find when I was doing the audio recording despite the fact that I'd probably had read it a gazillion times, I still laughed at my own jokes. And Greg would say, you laughed then, we have to stop and we have to redo that because you're not allowed to laugh at your own jokes when you're recording. So I think it was the spontaneity of being on stage versus the, the discipline of reading the words. And also a shift in performance level because you're not speaking out to a group with a PA, you're just reading one-on-one. One thing I did do was I imagined I was reading it to someone though. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like I, you know, sat there and felt like it was just a blank wall and a microphone. I imagined that there was someone in front of me, and to some extent Greg was that person, but so I wrote those books for managers, and so I imagined I was reading it to a manager. So how did you prepare prior to the recording? I read through the whole thing twice. That's great. Um, Once on my own, just sitting on the couch, I literally read the whole thing out loud, and then around that time I had a friend visiting from Sydney, and so one evening I said, "I'll, I'll ply you with wine, (laughs) if you'll sit and listen to me read my book. And so I'd done a full read through twice. And instead of reading it from the book, I read it from the script that Gildan provided and made all the changes around picking up things that just wouldn't go as well for a listener as opposed to a reader. You know, please refer to page 22 for this picture or Mm, whatever. mm. And I should mention both your books are relatively short, so you weren't really subjecting your friend to hours and hours and hours and hours. No, and that's one of the things I love about those books. When Wiley first came to me about the 25-minute meeting, they said, is there any chance you could write a book that could be read in 25 minutes? And I said to them, well, not a good one. But (laughs) um, when I was writing both of those books, for me, I imagine my audience or the, the person I wrote for was a manager who does probably a bit of travel And so I imagine them getting to the airport, grabbing my book and being able to read it in 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. And so reading it out loud without the level of accuracy we do here was about two hours, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Gildan Media played a role here in adapting the script for the record process. So obviously they've got experience in this realm. And as you say, where it mentioned things that were not going to track in a sound sense, so, you know, refer to page blah, they had adapted it and also... So you have quite a lot of graphics, which were reinforcing material that that was in the text. So I didn't feel like it made a difference to not have the graphics because you still got the information and also had things like tables and tasks for people to do at the end of each chapter. So how did you deal with those things, the the tasks and the tables, etc.? So for the most part, Gildan had highlighted them and given alternative ways to write. So when it says, you know, as you're reading this section, we change it to as you're listening to this section. And, you know, the table 1.4, that I would describe the table if it was describable. If it was an exercise where it was a fill in the table kind of thing, 
I've got a website set up and there was plenty of things that you could download. So we just had to change our language. And then, you know, no one's perfect. So that was why I really enjoyed working with Greg because we would come to a point in the script that might have been missed or just didn't quite make sense. And Greg and I would stop and we'd have a bit of a discussion around how do we think the best way to word this is. And then we realised there was a consistency thing. And so a couple of times we'd have to go back and re-record a couple of things so that we use the same language every time. Mm so that the listener knew the pattern and and knew the instructions and could follow it along. Yes, absolutely. Often with titles like this, the publisher provides a PDF that's available with the audiobook that people can download and so on, but you referred people instead back to your own website. How did that go? It's gone really well. I made a conscious decision that I wanted to have a unique website for each publication so that I could create a community around the thinking and also make other offers um, if necessary. And I also was really clear, and this is just maybe a personal thing, I didn't necessarily want to do it for list building. So if you go to my website to get the resources, it was never a matter you're going to have to give me your email address and then I'm going to spam you forever (laughs) with stuff. I wanted it to be purely free. And so we set that up with that idea in mind that it was simply an addition to the book. So have you got advice you'd pass on to other people like yourself who want to go through this same process of publishing an audiobook to coincide with an ebook and a print edition? I reckon it's a must. So I've got a couple of other books that I've written, two of which I think would be really good for this framework, and they were self-published. It's one of those things I've been meaning to get around to do it because I just think it's um, another way for people to consume your content. And I've had people even say to me, I had the hard copy, but I also then downloaded the book because I listened to it when I'm driving in the car yes. or on public transport. And because I read it, I've had other people say to me, I just loved having Donna McGeorge in my ear, which was kind of fun. And so I would recommend a couple of things. Even if you choose not to do an audio book, if that's the path you went down, read your book out loud because there's so many things you discover about reading a book out loud that you don't notice just from reading it on the page. Yes, absolutely. It's a good form of doing that final copy edit and proofing because you come across language that you think, oh, actually, I could put that a bit more elegant or is that word redundant, that kind of thing, and it just tightens it all up. Yeah, I totally agree. And so by the time you've done that to edit... You may as well then go and do the recording because you've done your first rehearsal then. You've Mm -hmm. done a run through. So I think this is about choices. I think people are really used to these days having multiple ways in which they can consume, whether it's social media or whatever. They just have multiple ways they can consume content. And I think you'd nearly be crazy not to. I think too with this kind of title, as you said, the manager who gets on a plane and might pick up the book. But you know, people during the commute, that kind of thing. It's adding to available time to consume material. And obviously in the car, you can't consume a print book, but the audio book is a really perfect vehicle for that travel time. Well, it's travel time, commute time, exercise time, you see, on the treadmill, out walking around the lake or, you know, whatever track they might be on. So again, yeah, I just think it's around giving people convenience. So do you think it has helped you connect to your existing audience and potentially a broader audience? I think it couldn't not, Mm. right? Because there are people who are quite happy to, you know, they'll say, oh, I like the old-fashioned book style and I like to hold the paper in my hands. But there is a huge audience of people that that just does not work for that I would not have been able to access without an audio book. Yeah. And what do you think you do differently next time 
or do the same? Or definitely do one. There's plenty of ways you can do it. I do know some people that did it themselves, like they basically just used their iPhone recording and created an audio book and it's not a, not a very polished thing, but at least they've got it. So, you know, done is better than perfect. But working with professionals, so so many times when I was reading through, I thought I'd read it perfectly and Greg would interrupt me and say, no, you, you just, you know, move two words around there. So I'm not an expert in the world of audio. You guys are. And so for me, it was I would just trust the experts. Yeah, I think people think, oh, I can record it on my iPhone and you know, iPhones sound pretty amazing really these days. And you can download basic editing tools for free so you can do your editing or whatever. But if you want to get it to a broader market beyond, say, just self-publishing on your own website, Audible are very specific about specifications and we've had the experience of people coming to us and saying, I recorded my book and it's been rejected because it doesn't fit their specifications. So that is just a bit of a catch that people need to be aware of. There's two ways of thinking about this. You can say, why would you pay someone when you can do it yourself? I've always had the view of why would I do it myself when I can pay (laughs) an expert, right? And so it's part of the investment. So a lot of people don't know what it costs to yeah, there's, there's there's the cost of writing the book, the cost of time, et cetera, but then mm. the cost of publication and distribution and the PR and marketing of all of that. And if I think about the cost of doing the audio book in the scheme of all of that, it's not that great a cost. And so getting it done and getting it done well is, you know, to answer your question from earlier, is a recommendation that I would say, yeah. I mean, ultimately, I suppose it reflects on your business model to have a polished product out there. How did you go with marketing? You mentioned marketing. I decided to go all in and I had a a PR consultant and he's a specialised book PR person. And so he helped me get it out there. And then any time there was a new version, like when the e-book was released or when this one was released, we would just push it back out to his media people and there'd be a surge of interest in the book. So So again, paying someone. An expert. An expert. (laughs) Yeah, great. So who was that PR person? It's a guy called Scott Ethorn, and his background is he, I think he used to work at Wiley or he used to work at one of the major publishing houses. Right. And then he went out on his own. And I know Lynn has used him as well. I would say about 10 authors that I personally know have worked with him. And he's just amazing. So Donna, I'm wondering what you think were the major advantages of being with a major publisher like Wiley and an audiobook aggregator like Gildan Media. I underestimated uh, the value of that. So I did it because I wanted distribution and I'm pretty clear and I get that there's ego in this, but I wanted a book at the airport and I knew that because my market travels through airports a lot, I knew that that was the right place. And the easiest way to do that is through a mainstream publisher. Now you can distribute other ways, but for me it was ease. And also I wanted to make sure I was in all the major bookstores. But I think what I didn't anticipate that's been a major advantage is they also have distribution relationships with overseas markets. While is a US publisher. Correct. Yeah. But I didn't realise I was getting in for that. And certainly I just thought it was going to be Australia. So I know that maybe makes me naive. I now know I'm distributed in Canada and most of Southeast Asia, and I've been translated into Korean. Wow. Which would not have happened if I had been 
doing that on my own. Mm. I understand from a colleague who we had in for an interview about the history of audiobooks and who teaches a lot of Chinese students that throughout that region, these type of titles are very popular as audiobooks because, you know, it's a very aspirational society and culture and they really value these kind of things. So really, potentially, has that broadened the audience for your one-on-one work, you know, for keynotes and so on? What it's done is it's broadened my positioning as an expert in this space. I haven't yet, as far as I know, gone into China, but markets like Malaysia, you know, lots of Southeast Asia, Singapore, Hong Kong, etc., haven't, they're still part of that aspirational world. Okay. So what percentage of your total sales is the audiobook? Closer to 20% at the last numbers I was looking at. But as you mentioned earlier, you think it's worthwhile to now think about doing audiobooks of your previous titles that don't currently exist in that form. So it's a good part of your business model. And and we'll never know now, is that 20% odd of people? Would I have never got them? But then that's just a, a market that I would not normally have had. And for me, with my other titles, there's a potential there that I could tap into. Mm, yes, absolutely. Well, Donna, thank you so much for sharing all that with us and our listeners. As I said, many authors come to us with questions around this whole process. So everything you've said is useful to them in helping them make that decision. So Donna McGeorge, M-C-G-E-O-R-G-E dot com. Thank you. (laughs) You've been listening to the audiobook podcast brought to you by Square Sound. If there's something that we haven't covered in our audiobook series that you'd like to know about, send us a message at studio.squaresound.com.au. The audiobook podcast was produced by Marianne Plaza together with Abby Holmes and Justine Sloan-Lees. With special thanks to all our guest speakers, Square Sound is an audiobook and podcast studio in Melbourne, Australia. Thanks for listening.